So we're continuing in our midweek series on the transforming power of life with God. We've been looking at this from a progression of our own personal prayer lives and how we are to approach God in prayer and the privilege that we have to do that through the blood of Jesus and uh, the confidence that we have through the indwelling presence of the Spirit. And in these past few weeks, we've been considering specifically the fruit of the Spirit and how we can pray for the fruit of the Spirit to be a reality in our lives as we walk with God. And tonight we come to the subject of what it means to pray for patience. And we're going to be in Galatians 5 and verse 22 once again. And just a little bit of background here. Uh, In Galatians, Paul contrasts clearly the difference between the works of the flesh and the works or the fruit of the Spirit. And fruit for us comes from abiding. It is something that God produces in us when we have faith in Jesus Christ, Spirit of God is indwelling us, and then we're yielded to his work in our lives. And what we know from the scripture is that the Holy Spirit works in our lives to progressively conform us to the image of Jesus. So it is God's will for your life that you would more and more be like Jesus, that your life would be shaped and molded Uh, to be more and more like Jesus. And part of that is the Holy Spirit producing that spiritual fruit in your life as you submit to the power of God. And fruit is a spiritual result of salvation, and it is an evidence of salvation, and it is also an evidence of growth and progress in your Christian life. So these are characteristics or qualities that God produces in our lives as we grow toward maturity. Now, so far, we have covered love, joy, and peace, and now we come to patience. But the fruit of the Spirit is patience. Now, there are two words translated as patience in the New Testament. One means a remaining under, like bearing up under a burden, or steadfastness in difficult circumstances. But the Greek word that is used here is translated as patience, long-suffering, or forbearance, depending on what your translation of Scripture is. And it relates to two words, meaning long and passion. So if you connect this, it essentially means long-tempered rather than short-tempered. And Paul uses the words to describe the patience of Jesus with him as well. And we'll get to that here in just a few moments. But I want to ask you this question as I get going. And my question is, is your spiritual life more like a Bradford pear tree or an oak tree? Is your spiritual life more like a Bradford pear tree or more like an oak tree? Now, how do trees grow the strongest? Well, surprisingly, too much sunlight and too much easy, fast growth does not produce necessarily healthy trees. Most young tree saplings spend their early uh, years under the shade of their mother's canopy in a natural setting. Uh, Limited sunlight means that they grow slowly, and ideally slow growth would lead to a long-standing and healthy tree if it's the right kind of tree. Uh, But in contrast, something interesting happens if you plant a tree in the open field. Uh, Free from the shade of bigger trees, the sapling actually gets sunlight all the time and grows typically too fast and too easily. 
And when that happens, again, depending on the variety, what it can produce is soft, what they refer to as airy wood that doesn't have the time to get the density that it needs. And soft, airy wood is a breeding ground for fungus and disease and ultimately uh, a short life. Uh, One writer on nature put it this way. He said, a tree that grows quickly rots quickly and therefore never has a chance to grow old. Now back to my question about a Bradford pear tree and an oak tree. A Bradford pear tree is a popular tree, as you know, that's used on tree-lined streets. They're pretty, at least for a while. They're affordable. They grow quickly. They can reach 15 feet in something like 8 to 10 years. But the problem is the wood is soft, and even in mild conditions, they tend to split in 15 years or less. Plus, they tend to be pretty smelly when they bloom, if you happen to have been around them. Oak trees, on the other hand, are a symbol of strength, beauty, and resistance. They grow slowly, but they can grow as high as 100 feet or more, depending on the type of oak that it is. Uh, They can live hundreds of years, again, depending on where it's at and what the variety is. And I was thinking about this in a house that we used to live in. When we moved to the house, uh, there were 10 trees in the yard. Now, in this yard, it was an old yard, so these trees were not new. Uh, Many of them already were not healthy. Uh, Some of them were evergreens, and some of them were uh, maples, and we had a Bradford pear in the back yard, and there was these different variety of trees. And very quickly, a couple of the evergreen trees that were diseased, they started to die from the bottom up, and they had to be taken out. We had this beautiful redbud tree on the side of the house. Uh, It got split in a storm. The Bradford pear tree in the backyard got split in a storm. And then the maple trees in the backyard that were really large and really impressive just looking at them, they rotted from the inside out. And we had to have those trees removed. So when we moved from that house, there was one lonely little tree that was not so little anymore that was standing. And it was a giant oak tree right dead center in the front yard And that thing was as solid as a rock. It had stood the test of time. It stood the derecho. It stood everything over who knows how many years that it had been there. And through enduring those storms, it remained a beautiful tree. Now, you get the illustration here, but the comparison is if your life is a Bradford pear tree and you appear to be growing, but you're soft and airy and you're not solid and growing with some stability and some maturity then the storms are going to pretty much split your life. But if you're growing like an oak tree, and it's a steady progression, and you are strong in the Lord, then it's going to last, and you're going to be able to endure those storms and give a beautiful testimony for the Lord. So what I want to do in these few moments that we have together is I want us to look at three perspectives on patience. God's patience with us, how God produces patience in us, and then how we are to be patient toward one another. Now, undoubtedly, you have heard the statement, uh, or maybe even said it yourself, the conventional wisdom, don't pray for patience. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times or more. Don't pray for patience, because if you pray for patience, God will give you something in your life that will teach you patience. Well, I want to tell you that that is an erroneous way of looking at it. 
And the reason it's an erroneous way of looking at it is because it's not a correct image of God. It portrays God as punishing us for seeking to grow in our spiritual resolve. And patience is not only a quality that enables us to quietly endure difficult circumstances, it is also a means by which we give an active witness to a different way of living. Patience shapes us for living in the kingdom of God. And the values of the kingdom of God uh, compete with the values of the world, and we know which is right. And even when we see those options sometimes, we're drawn toward the values of the world, which does not embody patience. Patience allows us to go through life and circumstances over the long haul and do it in a way that honors God. So I'm here to tell you tonight, just forget the conventional wisdom. You should pray for patience and you should practice patience. And we're going to try to learn how to do that as we look at the scripture together. The first truth I want to show you is that God is patient with sinners. God is patient with sinners. Now, I told you that Paul uses the same wording that is used in Galatians 5 and verse 22, speaking of patience, to speak of the patience that God used in his life and how he responded to him. The passage of scripture that I want to go to here is in 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is the same as our Sunday morning study currently. And I want to go back to a passage that we've already considered in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17. And I want us to look at this with a little bit more uh, focus. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, Paul writes, But I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now, verse 17, to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The verse repeats the same phrase that is used in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 13. I received mercy. Now, here's the perspective of how Paul saw and understood himself. He understood and saw himself as the chief sinner. This idea of chief is the foremost among all the sinners. And this is full of meaning. And here's what I think he's communicating. If Christ Jesus showed mercy to him as the chief of sinners, as the foremost of sinners, as the worst of the sinners, then what he's saying is, No sinner ever need despair of their circumstance or believe that they are too far from God. He was saying, listen, look at my life. I was a persecutor of Christians. I was an opponent of the Lord Jesus Christ. These people were killed because of my actions. He was there attending to the coats and was standing to the side when Stephen was stoned and when he looked up into heaven. And Paul is saying, listen, if that's what God would do for me, that he would give me mercy, then there's hope for everybody. And Paul says that he was a recipient of the perfect patience of Jesus. Now, Peter echoed the same idea in 2 Peter 3 and verse 8 and 9. Listen to what he writes. He says, dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. And then he says this in verse 9. The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay. But listen to this. 
but is patient with you. And then he tells us why. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Now, you know a little bit of the setting. False teachers were trying to confuse the early church by asking, where's this Jesus that you've promised? He's delayed all this time. He must not be coming back at all. And the segue that they made from that is that if this Jesus that you promised has not come back and probably isn't, isn't coming back, then you can live as you please because there will be no judgment. And Peter reminds us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God is not bound by human time. God is not limited by human time. He is outside of time and he is eternal. And he is not slow keeping his promise as we would count slowness or slackness. It is his schedule. And God acts according to his schedule as he pleases. But while God is patient and while God acts according to his schedule as he pleases, he is drawing people to a relationship with himself. So the purpose of God's extraordinary patience is that he's building his family. And the reality of the return of Jesus is certain even though the timing is not known to us. So in the meantime, God is patient with people who have not yet believed, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And we know the beautiful truth of Scripture, that God loves the world so much that he gave his one and only son. And his one and only son came to redeem people that were created in the image of God and to save them from their sins. So in the sovereignty and the power of God, he does not force people to believe and to be saved, but he desires them to be saved. And I believe that Paul understood the mercy that he received and the extraordinary patience that he experienced from Jesus was an example to those who would believe on Jesus for eternal life. So he says, listen, God gave me this extraordinary patience and not that he just, only did he give me this extraordinary patience, but he's using my life as an example to others, as a, as a testimony to that patience and as a witness to the mercy of God. I think back to God's patience with Israel as a, as a powerful example. Think about Israel, uh, God's chosen people, the, the people that he chose to reveal to the world his glory and his might through. These men and women, these children, these people, they delved into sin to such an extreme that uh, we would stand horrified to witness with our own eyes some of the things that they did in idolatry. Uh, for hundreds of years, they strayed from God. They turned away from God. In their idolatry, they defiled the name of God. Uh, they mocked God in ways. They desired kings to rule instead of God's glory. But every time that they recognized the depths of their sin and they turned their hearts back to God, what did God do? God showed mercy. Why? Because he's a merciful God. Why would God put up with them like he did? The better question is, why would God put up with us like he does? Why would we be the recipients of such extraordinary mercy and patience from God and God took them back, not without consequences for their sins, not without repentance, but he took them back with open arms. And if there was ever an example of God's perfect patience, these people were it. And God chose Israel to carry his name and to be the chosen people. And through 
them the Messiah would come. And then there are many other examples of individuals in the Old Testament uh, where God forgave and he showed patience to them, uh, even among his people who weren't the chosen people. And I would say that the accounts in the Old Testament aren't just for a history lesson. Think about it for a moment. They are a window into the character of God. So we make a comparison of what God did through Paul's life, and then we make a comparison of what he did through those people in hundreds upon hundreds of years. And if we make the connection that God is unchanging, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the Lord Jesus is unchanging, then would he not have perfect patience today? His truth does not change. His character does not change. He's the one who is patient with sinners. The purposes of God often develop slowly because God is never hurried. There was a great preacher by the name of Phillips Brooks who was noted for his poise and his quiet manner and also his preaching ability. But it's said that at times even he uh, suffered moments of frustration and irritability. And one day a friend saw him feverishly pacing the floor. They said like a caged lion. And they said, what's the trouble, Mr. Brooks? He said, the trouble is I'm in a hurry, but God is not. We've all felt that way. We're in a hurry. God never is. And God's purposes sometimes take time to unfold. I think about some of the greatest missionaries in history who were devoted themselves to spreading the seed of the word of God and the gospel, and they had to wait years to see any response to their efforts. William Carey labored seven years before, before the first Hindu convert was brought to Christ. Adoniram Judson toiled seven years before his fruitful uh, faithful preaching uh, bore fruit. In, in Western Africa, it was 14 years before one convert was received into the Christian church. In New Zealand, it took nine years. In Tahiti, it was 16 years before they began to see a harvest of souls. And yet today, if you look at sub-Saharan Africa, for an example, it's, Christianity is growing at the fastest pace of anywhere on the globe. In fact, by 2050, uh, Sub-Saharan Africa will comprise the majority of Christians in the world in the direction that we're going in. And yet, it seemed like the promises of God were slow in developing. God is patient, and he is patient with sinners. Now, I think we should thank God for his mercy and his extraordinary patience in our lives. And when we reflect on how patient and merciful God has been with us, we should pray for patience and mercy in other people's lives. We should pray that people will come to repentance that we know who are lost. We should pray for the nations and the unreached and the unengaged among them. And we should pray for clarity in our own testimonies with our neighbors, our coworkers, people we engage in the community, people we engage on mission, ask God to help us have clarity and power and patience as we share with them. Now I want to do what I've been doing in recent weeks, and that is suggest a way to pray for each one of these as I go along. 
here in this study, uh, in this particular subject. And here's my prayer on God being patient with sinners. Father God, thank you for extending mercy and showing extraordinary patience in my life. I pray for the same for people who do not yet know you. May they come to repentance and faith. I pray that the name of Jesus will be exalted in my life and among the nations and give me clarity and power as I share the good news with others. Amen. And then the second truth is that God produces patience in us. And I want you to take your Bibles now and turn to James chapter 5. And I want to look at James chapter 5 in verse 7 through verse 11. I'll give you just a moment to find the way, your way there to James chapter 5 in verse 7 through 11. James was writing to encourage believers who were experiencing suffering. And he's encouraging them to remain patient. Uh, while they await the coming of the Lord. Uh, the rich among them seemed comfortable and successful in a worldly way, and it might have seemed that they were getting one over on everybody else. And God is making it clear through James that he was going to produce patience through them as a blessing, but there was a pathway to that patience. James chapter 5, beginning of verse 7 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another, verse 9, so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge stands at the door. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. According to James, the day of the Lord is coming. And the message is, be patient while you wait for God to keep his promise. Now, we can be patient to wait for God to keep his promise because there's never been a promise that God made that he did not keep. Any promise that has not yet been fulfilled from God is only because it is not God's timing to yet fulfill it. It's not because God is somehow deficient in his promises. And we're to be patient while we wait for him to keep his promise. The analogy of a farmer is used here for encouragement. And I want you to think about how hardworking a farmer is as he awaits the harvest. A farmer is going to wait with hope and anticipation. A farmer is going to wait while he continues to work. So it begins with an expectation that what he has planted is actually going to bear some fruit. It's going to bear a crop. It's going to bear some type of produce, some type of result. But he knows he's got to keep working while he's waiting. It's not as though, he, as though he plants and then just stops. No, he's got to cultivate and he's got to care for and he's got to make sure that it's nurtured in the way that it needs to be so that he can get it to the point of the harvest. And he continues to work. And this is a parallel with our spiritual lives. It's not as though we just believe that Jesus is coming again, that the day of the Lord is on its way, and then we just sit back and wait. That's not how it works. We continue to be faithful in work because 
we know that we may go to be in the presence of the Lord before that ever happens, or if Jesus comes back, we want to be ones that are ready and are anticipating his return. And I think the farmer waits with an eye on the heavens because he knows that much of what he is doing is outside of his control. And he also waits because he knows he really has no other option. Did you know we really have no other option when it comes to a lot of things in life except to just wait patiently? We can't control so many outcomes that we worry about and stress over. And we'd be a lot better off if we would just develop patience and wait on the Lord as we continue to do what we can do. And I think the farmer waits because he knows there's nothing to gain from giving up. And the difficulty of the growing season results in a glorious harvest eventually. So be patient because the harvest will come. We cannot control the timing of the day of the Lord. We can control how we respond in patience while we wait. And the reality of God's promise that he will make all things right gives us the ability to stand strong. And just because difficulty comes, it's not a time to waver. When difficulty comes, that's a time to, to dig in and to grow in your patience. And we know that patience is the opposite of impatience. Impatience is defined as when you're annoyed by somebody or something, especially when you have to wait for a long time. And I want you to think about your life just in a very practical sense. We're not talking now about anything especially spiritual, but just a practical sense uh, of everyday life. Have you ever gained anything positive by being impatient? No. It stresses you out. It makes your blood pressure go up. makes you say words you probably shouldn't be saying. makes you think things about other people that you probably shouldn't be thinking. It might make you hurry something along in your life that you need to slow down on a little bit. And the admonition here in the scripture in verse 8 is strengthen your hearts. That means to have an established heart. It means to be rooted in Jesus and to be focused on the eternal. And all the while, not grumbling against one another, not complaining about hardship. And this idea of grumbling is actually an internal word. It's not expressed aloud. It's more of what's going on in your heart. And the judge will judge the world, but he's also going to assess the faithfulness of believers in terms of our eternal reward, not judge for our sins, but judge for our stewardship in terms of the eternal reward when he returns. Then he shifts from the farmer to the prophets. The prophets are presented as an example of suffering and patience. Those prophets who endured hardship and yet practiced patient endurance. I immediately thought about the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I think Jesus is saying a couple of things. Number one, who do you think you are to expect that it's going to be easy? James is saying something similar. But he says, hey, when you don't have it easy and there's storms around you and you're getting persecuted for your faith and things may not be breaking your way, you just hang in there because God is going to bless you and he's going to reward you in heaven in the same way that he rewards the prophets who were persecuted before you. What about Jeremiah? He was a man who endured suffering with patience. Just a few of the things he experienced. He was put in stocks. 
He was thrown in prison. He was lowered into a dungeon. That's just the beginning of it. And yet he persisted in faithfulness. I like the way the uh, commentator Poole put it about the prophets. He said, as much as God honored and loved them, they were not exempted from afflictions, but were maligned, traduced, and persecuted by men. And therefore, when they suffered such hard things, it is not shame for you to suffer the like. And then he gives the perseverance of Job as the next example in this passage in James. God has a purpose for everything. Old Job was an afflicted man, and there's some mystery about his circumstance, about how all that worked out in the providence of God. But what we know is that the Lord was compassionate and merciful to him. God limited what could have happened to Job, and he sustained Job through it all. And God made Job a better and more blessed man than he had even been in the beginning. So that Job would be able to say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Is that our attitude when the Lord gives and the Lord takes away? Too often it's not, and part of the reason it's not is because we're not submitting ourselves to the Spirit so that the Spirit can be producing patience in us so that we would be more like Jesus and more like these examples. I think about the examples in Hebrews 11 in that hall of fame of the faith. The Bible says that Noah uh, warned about things not yet seen, and he built the ark when everybody else thought he was crazy. He was faithful and he was patient. Abraham was looking forward to the city whose architect and builder is God. Sarah considered him uh, faithful, who made the promise. She believed that God was faithful, even though she initially doubted. And all these people that are given in these examples, they did not receive the things that were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. But yet their lives are testimonies to us of patience in action. So it, it's not looking back only, but it is a present focus with a future emphasis. So tonight we can step back and we can look at our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can look at your life and you can look back at how God was patient with you. If you are a believer, God was patient with you. The fact that you were in an environment where the gospel was communicated to you, that the Spirit of God convicted you, that you understood the truth about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you trusted him, God was patient with you. And then since you've been a Christian, God's been patient with you. Think about some of the things that, that God has done just to show you overwhelming mercy. And then even today, we're here tonight. We're able to be here together, to worship the Lord, to hear from his word, to celebrate the good things that God is doing. Why? Because God is a patient God. And he gives us a patient faith. And there's still more to come in the future. So James says, if you want to learn patience, remember the prophets. Think about what it means to live like a farmer. Look to Job as an example. And live in a way that honors God. Now here's what I know I'm too guilty of uh, many times in my life. I rush around. I get impatient. I live by the clock. I live and die by my calendar, multiple calendars. But then I think about the fact that God has a heavenly calendar in a sense. And he's working his plan out. And 
I love what uh, Gordon Fort often says, and I paraphrase from the International Mission Board. Uh, you can be confident today because God is still on the throne and the universe is running right on time. Think about it. You can be confident today because God is still on his throne in heaven and the universe is running right on time. If I believe that, I don't have anything to worry about. What is God doing in your life right now that requires patience? What are you dealing with? Might be a job situation. Might be a family member. Might be some area of spiritual growth or some sin that is nagging at you that you know you need to deal with. And you need patience to be able to grow and to be right with the Lord and repent of what you need to repent of and deal with what you need to deal with and, and endure what you need to endure. Would you just ask God to produce that patience in you? Here's my prayer for this truth. Father God, would you help us to look to you as the one who produces patience in us? Help us to understand your patience and show me how to live with an eternal focus. Teach me, O oh God, to endure struggle and even suffering with patient endurance for your glory. Amen. And then the third and final truth. God expects us to exercise patience toward others. Now you see the progression here. God is the one who is the perfect embodiment of patience. He produces it in us, but it's not just for our benefit. It's so that we can extend it to others. And I want you to look now to Colossians chapter 3. And I want to look at verse 12 through 15. In Colossians 3 and verse 12 through 15, which I'll read in just a moment, Paul lists five ways of life that Christians are to follow. One of those ways of life is the way of patience. And he provides practical teaching on the believer's transformation from the old life to the new life that is hidden with Christ in God. And here's the comparison that he makes. He compares it to putting to death or discarding the old sinful way of life to the process of removing old clothes. And every article of newly donned clothing relates to our interpersonal relationships and our life with God in Christian community. So he says this in Colossians 3, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. There it is. Bearing with one another, verse 13, and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. So I want you to note first here that he refers to followers of Jesus as God's chosen ones, the people who are set apart, and the people who are beloved by God. And he says about us in this Christian community that we are to bear for one another, with one another. To bear with one another uh, means to endure something that is sometimes unpleasant or difficult. So that means in spite of differences and frustrations. And this affects how we speak of and how we treat each other with kindness and grace. 
It's like an orchestra or a band that has to play together in order to make a good sound. And love is said to be the song that believers have to play in order to work together in harmony. So he's given us this imagery of putting off the old man, putting on the new man. He's talking about the characteristics that we should be taking on, like new garments of clothing. He's telling us here that we are to bear with one another through difficulty, even when it's not pleasant or easy. And he says, hey, while you're doing that, the bond that's going to hold you together is the bond of love. And we are parts of the same whole. And we make the family of God in the perfect bond of unity. And then through it, the peace of God will dwell in our hearts. So you can make some inferences here. If the peace of God is not dwelling in our hearts, and we're not dwelling together in unity... And we're not demonstrating these different characteristics, then perhaps we've not truly understood what it means to put off the old man and put on the new. Maybe we're not living as surrendered and submitted to the Spirit of God as we should be. And He's calling us to this type of life. So if we have the foundation of the patience of God, and we have the work of God in our lives producing this through us, then it's not something that we're going to have to to strive for, but it's something that we're going to have to operate in because it's something God is doing in us. And then it's going to overflow in patience toward one another. Now, to those Christians who are always in a hurry and impatient, uh, here's some good advice from the 19th century preacher A.B. Simpson. He said, Beloved, have you ever thought that someday you will not have anything to try you or anyone to vex you again. There will be no opportunity in heaven to learn or to show the spirit of patience, forbearance, and long-suffering. If you are to practice these things, it must be now. Yes, each day affords countless opportunities to learn patience. Let's not waste them. I want you to think about in your life tomorrow, because you're going to get tested not because God is not good, because, but because we get tested every single day. Most of the time, we're our own worst trouble. I am my biggest problem in my life every day. I have to deal with me first. So it's the flesh. Then I got to deal with the world, everything around me. Then I got to deal with the devil because the devil is working against us with those fiery darts. But when those testings come, ask the Lord to produce patience in your life with other people. I promise you this, people who are constantly irritable and impatient are not spirit-filled people. I guarantee it. People that are irritable and impatient with people are not spirit-filled people. So it's a real test for us in our own lives. And here's my prayer for this section. Father God, help me to grow in my patience toward others As I reflect on how patient you have been with me, may my patience affect my kindness and extend grace as I seek to live in the way of patience. Amen. God wants us to see results as we surrender ourselves to him. And that's why we should be praying for patience. Pray for patience. You need it. I need it. Pray for it. 
God will give it. And even if it doesn't seem like it's unfolding as quickly as we want it to, God is always on time. He never gets in a hurry. God is never flustered. God is never out of sorts. God is never irritable. And he will produce in us what he wants to so that we would be more like Jesus. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Father, we thank you this night that we don't have to produce this in our lives by our own efforts. I thank you that you have been patient with us and you have shown us the love of Christ even though we were undeserving. And you brought us to the knowledge of salvation so that you might show your rich mercy and patience in our lives. Help us to understand that and to understand what it means for the fruit of the Spirit to be active in us, producing this in our lives so that we would be more like Jesus. Help us practically as we deal with it on a day-to-day basis to be patient with the people who are closest to us, to be patient when things don't go our way, to be patient when people aren't patient toward us. And Father, whether it's returned in the moment or not, I pray that we would be a good testimony of Jesus to the people around us, even if that means that we would endure suffering and difficulty as a result of it. Bless the remainder of this week and the time ahead of us. Help us to use it, Lord, in wise ways. We look forward to coming back together in Jesus' name. Amen.